Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark. I'm very pleased to be joined again by Ryan Fonder. Thank you for being back on the show, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sonny. Uh, Ryan is a film business reporter uh, for the Los Angeles Times' Company Town and the host of the entertainment business newsletter, The Wide Shot. If you haven't signed up for The Wide Shot uh, after the last time he was on the show, go do it now. It's great. Um, we're going to be talking about a couple of his uh, his newsletters here. So, you know, if you if you had been reading up, as I told you to, you will be you'll be well versed in some of this. But uh, uh, go go check it out. Um, Fonda writes about uh, Hollywood studios, including Walt Disney Company, uh, and has covered such major stories as the Sony hack. Uh, thank you again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. So the reason I wanted to have you on today was because one of your 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 most recent newsletter uh, really caught my eye because it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. You were writing about uh, the proliferation of gambling ads in sports. Yes. Um, and this this jumps out at me for two reasons. One, it, I, I recently uh, read a very interesting book about the rise of daily fantasy called Billion Dollar Fantasy. And there's a whole section in that book where they talk about just how crazy the ad spends got that, you know, if you remember like four or five years back, every football game, every single ad was for either FanDuel or DraftKings or one of those. Um, but secondly, because it, 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 it's an under discussed aspect of the business uh, of entertainment right now that sports are really the only live TV thing that still work. The only it's like the only network and like main mainstream cable thing that still works from an advertising perspective. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting the nail right on the head when you talk about live sports being sort of the the, the bulwark pun intended for um, uh-huh. for live TV right now, because I mean, it used to be it used to be that. And also uh, award season, right? Like the Emmys, the Oscars, those would be sure. some of the biggest things on TV. And and those are just hitting all-time lows. I think the Emmys had sort of a dead cat bounce effect where they, um, where they came up a little bit in the most recent one. But yeah, you look at the NFL, uh, the beginning season of the NFL, the first few weeks are up like somewhere around 17% in total viewers for, uh, for, for the season over last year which is uh, you don't really see anything like that in TV right now. And that's why you have so many of these big companies spending billions and billions of dollars for NFL rights. Like if you win the NFL, um, you win basically the, 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 the whole thing. And, you know, Amazon's getting in the mix too, spending, I think somewhere around $11 billion just for Thursday night football rights. I mean, that's not a highly watched part of the NFL lineup Thursday night, but they're still mm-hmm. willing to go pretty far into this business uh, just just for those games um, in a way that's sort of incongruous with the rest of Amazon's offering. I don't know if you ever... I, I, I don't often go on to Amazon to watch live mm-hmm. sports, but when you do, it's 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 really... It's interesting because Amazon does not have an ad-based model. So when you watch Thursday Night Football on Amazon, there's a lot of ads, like all the ad space that would be for products and things like that or movie trailers. They're all for other Amazon shows or just the NFL (laughs) network. It's it's a quite strange experience. Yeah, well, that's that's really interesting. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that because I have not watched any of the like Thursday Night exclusive things on Amazon, and it is it is. 
part of me part of me wonders whether it makes any sense for the streamers to get into bidding wars for these uh for these these network or for these uh these sporting leagues because the whole the only reason that you know ESPN or ABC or Fox or NBC will pony up the billions is because they can then sp- send spell you know sell even more billions in ad revenue and in ad inventory but if you're on Amazon where they don't do ads if you're on Netflix where they don't do ads what's the point of getting these getting these networks yeah i mean with amazon the point is attention just getting more share of eyeballs we've talked about this before that they're really competing just like netflix is in the attention economy netflix once is getting into video games and uh, interactive content for exactly this reason right they just want you know a, a sh- more share of your waking hours to be spent on Netflix. Amazon's doing the same thing. They're doing it in a slightly different way with with sports. Uh, but yeah, you're right in that I don't think Netflix has really gotten into this bidding war yet because they really are not an mm-hmm. ad-based business at all. Um, uh, and you see this dynamic play out too with Disney and their ESPN Plus product, which if you ever spend any time on ESPN plus it's a little bit of an interesting experience because there's a lot of archival stuff. There's a lot of supplementary uh, supplemental material on ESPN plus. Um, but there's not a whole lot of live game coverage of the major sports leagues. And that's partly because, you know, I, I, I would imagine that ESPN and Disney don't want to take too much attention away from the actual ESPN network, which is where sure. all, all the ad dollars is is, is going. Well, and ESPN Plus also has uh, an exclusive deal with UFC that's very profitable, right? I mean, that is a that's a oh, huge yeah. uh, money maker for them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. UFC is 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 massive uh, for ESPN in general and uh, ESPN Plus as well. Um, yeah, and, and that sort of gets to one of the points that we were trying to make in, in the recent newsletter when we were talking about uh, sports gambling. And there's this sort of disconnect. You know, in, in, in the past, uh, I think even two years ago, Bob Iger was on a earnings call and he was asked about whether ESPN would get into sports betting uh, in a real way. And he essentially said, no, I don't really see us getting involved in there. You'll see us do some content around sports betting. Um, but, you know, we don't really see ourselves getting into that business in a direct way. Flash forward two years later, and Bob Chapik is on a similar conference call uh, saying, basically, our bands are into sports betting. Our the leagues are uh, interested in sports betting. So we're into sports betting. And so... There's this, there's this idea of Disney as this family-friendly brand that doesn't want to sully itself with these sort of gray area things mm-hmm. like, like sports betting, UFC, you know, pretty violent sport, yeah. is uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of, kind of uh, breaks that mold a little bit in the first place. I, I would think, in terms yeah. of the family-friendly stuff. But yeah, they they definitely seem more comfortable getting involved in it, and it's because yeah. you have young people who are interested in this and you know that's where that's where the viewers are at they're trying to get young people more engaged
Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the actual ads here because this is interesting. I mean, in 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 England and in, in Great Britain, there was a uh, there was a push to get these ads that were you know playing every in I think in your newsletter it said in 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 a four uh, four ad pod three of them would be for uh, daily fantasy or some, some other sort of sports gambling, right. Um, uh, you know, actual sports books, which, you know, operate a little more freely in, in Great Britain than, than here. Um, uh, what, what was the, what was, what was that all about? I mean, and, and is there any sort of, is there any likelihood that a similar push to regulate this sort of stuff, uh, more heavily could come to the United States? Well, it's interesting that, that, that anecdote that you're talking about came from the NFL's chief strategy and growth officer Mm -hmm. and that was like he was making an observation of what he saw when going to london uh, several years ago when people really were inundated with gambling ads and it became such a problem that the uk sports books actually voluntarily agreed to what's called a whistle to whistle ban on sports betting where they wouldn't advertise uh, during the actual uh, sports broadcasts themselves um, the NFL uh, and the media companies in the U.S. would like to avoid a similar situation. <laughs> so the NFL is basically doing a lot of self-regulating, saying you can only have one ad per quarter in a football game, and also you can you can have two other ads, but they're in pregame and uh, halftime. So it's really mm-hmm. six ads per broadcast. Um, local stations can do whatever they want you know in the morning or evening but and the nfl is is uh, is quite conscious of this and when you talk to uh, people at say fox sports or espn um any of the major uh, sports broadcasters they're also really cognizant of not wanting to go too far even though this mm-hmm. is a massive uh windfall for them if they can get these ad dollars yeah, I mean, I like what was the number uh, that I can't I forget. Was it FanDuel or DraftKings? They 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 said they had spent almost a billion dollars already this year. Two days, like, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, it was Amy Howe, the new CEO of yes. FanDuel, who was talking on yep. CNBC, um, basically making the argument that sports betting in the U.S. was hitting bubble territory because of all mm-hmm. the ad spend that's going on. I mean, these companies are not profitable yet; they're spending the vast majority of their revenue on ad space and they're just desperate for market share. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're expecting some kind of consolidation to come to, to result uh, from everything shaking out. And so they're hoping that, you know, if they just spend enough money and get enough attention. They'll be one of the ones left standing when the, when the bubble kind of crashes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's all about customer acquisition at this point still, which is, I mean, crazy. Like I said, I, I, this, this, this really interesting book that I read, it was, it was the same thing, you know, five years ago mm-hmm. when these companies were, were first coming around, it was all about, you know, what is the estimated, uh, revenue per user, right? The ARPU, right. And, and what is that going to look like for these, these, these customers as it goes along? And they're like, it's enormous. The amount of money that we can get from one person that we acquire to the site is enormous. Uh, so we're going to spend billions upon billions to get everyone there. I mean, is it is 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 the NFL looking at this uh, solely from the perspective of annoying NFL fans? Like, do they <laughs> do they just want do they just want to like avoid people being burnt out on on all of these uh, really annoying ads, and that that's the issue, or is there you know a higher minded uh, purpose here? 
Well, for a long time, the NFL was actually, and all the sports leagues were really against the broader legalization of sports betting uh, within the United States, right? I mean, um, this all came to a head when New Jersey was trying to legalize uh, sports betting within its own borders, and it wasn't able to because of uh, prohibition uh, at the federal level. And the Supreme Court in 2018 overturned that. Now, one of the groups that was um, that was trying to keep that those laws in place that were nominally um, anti-sports betting were the sports leagues, and their public stance was that they were concerned that sports betting would have some sort of detrimental effect on the integrity of the sport. Now, attitudes. The fear are, being that the fear being that players would be bribed to throw games, or refs would be bribed to throw games, that sort of thing. It would it would yeah. cause people to wonder if the games were legit. Well, there's also there's also this kind of seedier aspect of you know, people at the time thought of sports betting primarily as you know you go to Vegas and sit in the sports book with a cigar and and an old fashioned and you know and <laughs> make you know ludicrously high stakes bets. Um, and there was this sort of seedier aspect of it, you know, especially when it was illegal in most places. Uh, it seems like the, uh, the cultural attitudes have shifted as yeah. things have yeah. become more normalized. Like that kind of, you know, greasy bookie <laughs> aspect is not really how most people participate in this right. uh, new sector of the economy. It's mostly it's mostly online. It's it's very much mostly through mobile devices so it's um so it's just it's just people have gotten used to it and when i talk to um when i talk to executives at the media companies and 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 certain sports leagues their impression was that the normalization and the cultural acceptance has happened a lot faster than they had anticipated they did not mm-hmm. really part, envision it becoming you know, such a normal part of you know, daily sports fandom as it has become. And I think the fantasy stuff that you're talking about really set the table for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, again, this is kind of how I, it it is, it is interesting to think about how sports gambling was normalized in the United States because it really was these daily fantasy games where people would set lineups uh, every day. I I don't know. I I don't know how deep into the weeds we want to get about daily fantasy and, and the sort, but like, it's it's essentially uh, a a fantasy game where you set the lineup every day and you're competing against other players. You th- everybody, you know, pays ten bucks for an entry, and you know the winners, the ten percent of people who win, uh, split the split the, split the, split the winnings. But the the point is, uh, it is it is very it is very real, and it's getting to a place where it's not just you know setting daily fantasy lineups or betting on who's going to win a game, but like what the first pitch is going to be if it's going right. to be a ball or a strike like what the, there are all sorts of weird micro bets now that have, have come to kind of dominate um or have come to be at least a part of the the gambling world which is very interesting yeah part of the fun of it is the prop bets right and that's that yeah. kind of like play to play sort of you know who's gonna is is tyson fury gonna go down in the is in the fifth round versus the sixth round or, or, or yeah. whatever it's that kind of thing it's like betting almost on plays um, uh, it was interesting in talking to some of the folks that are involved in sports betting and the technology of it and talking about where this could all go. And, you know, if you have live streaming 
sport game, if you have live streaming games like on your iPad, and you also have the app that is helping you make bets basically in real time, you could see mm -hmm. a future where the folks are able to sort of make those like play to play bets in real time during the game. And I mean, that could be just really great for uh, engagement, but really the latency technology just isn't there. Like you're still in a yeah. situation where you're, if you're streaming a game or you're watching on TV, you're probably, you know, five to six, seven minutes behind the actual action. So it's definitely yeah. not there yet. But yeah, I think yeah. your your point is like the prop bets are getting more and more uh, nuanced and more and more, um, more granular, and that yeah. granularity is part of what is interesting to a lot of the um, fans getting more yeah. invested in the game. Well, and the networks, right? Because I mean, if you're paying attention, you know, if you're paying super close attention on a play by play basis to what is happening on the screen, your focus is there, you know, you are not you are not, uh, or I guess there and and on your your gambling app, but like your your focus is, is there and you're and you're uh, not checking out and zoning out as so often happens with, you know, it's it's hard to measure, but uh, as as one imagined, you know, kind of happens with TV shows or whatever. Yeah. Uh, whatever else. And if you're, you know, if you have an actual stake in the outcome of a game, you are watching games that probably you wouldn't normally, you know, like yeah. it, it, we're recording on a Thursday. Um, I am a hundred percent sitting down to watch uh, the Dodgers play the giants tonight, game five of, of, uh, of the series. Sure. Um, Cause you know, hometown team. And that's how most people, watch sports they watch it for their hometown team or their, yeah. or their favorite team um whether emotionally invested um with the rise of sports betting uh being more common you have more people that are actually more invested in more games or this is how right. the theory goes right Right. Uh, I mean, and this is this is also a function. Of, I mean, again, this is I you can you can trace the explosion of these NFL packages pretty, pretty closely to the rise of fantasy sports just in general, where people are people are watching more games because they have more players involved in more situations um, than just the hometown team than just, you know, the the the, the folks they grew up watching and cheering for, um, which is which is all very interesting uh let's let's move let's shift slightly to a different game the squid game yeah the squid game uh phenomenon I, so i am i am uh i'm actually watching it now for another podcast we're like doing a couple of episodes a week so by the time we're done with it somebody will have found uh, a new thing to latch on to uh because we're we're doing it so slowly but right. that's okay <laughs> uh, but but this it's it's a legit phenomenon uh, to the point where even jeff bezos is uh, throwing kind of a trolley shout out to uh, the good folks at Netflix saying, you know, this this Ben, I, Jeff Bezos, uh, appreciate this anti-capitalist masterpiece, Squid Game. Yes. Um, uh, what what's going on there and what uh, what is the takeaway uh, that we should have on the internationalization of the the kind of streaming television market? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, it was just a couple of years ago where Bong Joon-ho won the one best picture and best director for Parasite and gave a impassioned speech talking about how um, really the we, we would basically as, as an audience, we would have such a richer experience in culture if we could just get over that one inch hurdle of reading subtitles. 
right? It was something to that effect. And mm-hmm. this is really proof positive of that exact statement because you know, this is a show that took forever to get made. Like the script was being worked on years and years ago. Uh, finally came out. It's very high concept. It's incredibly violent. Um, and to your point, anti-capitalist. Um, and this is the really just the culmination of a lot of things that Netflix has been doing with uh, Lupin from from France, and uh, and some shows from Germany and and Money Heist. Money Heist. Money Heist. It's just Heist. it's just massive Casa de Papel. So yeah, it, this has really been a strategy of Netflix's to take to to not just throw spaghetti against the wall, but uh, to have a lot of shows from a lot of different parts of the world and just see if it can travel. And in a lot of cases where we've never really had a lot of experimentation on international movies or or shows traveling uh, between South Korea and U.S. broadcast networks, we're seeing how that plays out. And it seems to be working, at least in this uh, one case. Which yeah, I mean, what's cool. what's interesting about the Netflix strategy is that they haven't they've been pursuing this internationalization strategy. I mean, almost since the beginning of their their you know their the rise of their streaming empire. But what is what's really interesting is is this Squid Game is the first thing that is going to break through in the United States as a massive hit. You know, I want to I want to be very careful how I phrase that because lots of people watched uh, Lupin the first the first season in particular. I think there was a little a little uh, uh, decay with the second season. Yeah. And Money Heist Money Heist does okay, but it's not doing like manifest numbers, right? Manifest is the huge the big huge uh, thing on Netflix uh, that the, that they picked up. But this seems to be the first thing that is really going to travel from overseas to the United States and and be that huge crossover hit for them, right? Yeah, I mean, Money Heist is definitely popular globally. Uh, the thing that's unique about this, um, the thing that's really unique about uh, Squid Game is that it's the first South Korean show to hit number one in the US on mm-hmm. Netflix. So that really shows you how it's crossed over. Like Money Heist and a lot of these shows, yes, big international numbers, pretty big. U.S. numbers, I think, um, Squid Game is just like totally taken off, and a lot of that is due to. Um, I think you could attribute a lot of that to the the memes, the TikToks, memes. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's it's just kind of resonated in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, meme culture. I mean, there is there's something very striking about the visuals of that show that really lend lend uh, them to kind of meme status. You know, the the costumed. Uh, antagonists with their kind of PlayStation button faces and and you know bright colors and all that. Uh, yeah. It is interesting. Uh, what you know the I I don't think we have any numbers on this. I'd be curious if you if you've heard anything. But you, you mentioned the the one inch barrier, right? The 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 subtitles at the bottom of the screen. But a lot of people are watching via dubbing, and I, yes. I'm curious. I'm curious if we have any like good numbers or good sense of what that split is of the subtitled versus dubbing. I don't know of any numbers, but I know from having talked to people close to it that most people who watch um, Netflix's international programming that's not in their language do use Mm -hmm. the dubbing option. 
So I don't know if it's like 51%, 49% one way, or if it's, you know, 80, 20, but my sense is definitely that the majority of people who watch these uh, international programs are, are, are watching it dubbed, which is really interesting because that's yeah. not how, that's not how I do it. I like to be able to hear the language and, and read the text, but I also completely understand why someone would not want that, would not yeah. want their eyes having to do two, two different things at the same time. Well, totally. I mean, this is this is the the cineasts dilemma, right? Yeah. Is that for, you know, we uh, the film critic community has always said you've got you have to watch the subtitles. You got it. You got to be able to hear it in the, the people's voice and you got to be able to read and look at the the and you got to you got to you got to master the the idea of like almost unfocusing a little bit and being able to watch both at the same time, um, which has always been a barrier for people. Frankly, it's a, it's a barrier for me. I mean, I I am. Uh, I, I am a film critic, so I have to watch a fair number of foreign films. And when I do so, it is, I always describe subtitles as a necessary evil. Yes, they're necessary, but they're still evil because they do, they do distract from the actual image that the filmmaker has created on the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, you want to be able is, to watch them twice almost, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but, it, but it's interesting to me that the normal people are just like, ah, you know what? We're just gonna, we're just gonna watch the dubbed. It's fine. It's, you know, it's, yeah, the, the, the mouths don't match up exactly, but it's, it's okay for, for us. Yeah. Um, well, international audiences have done dubbing for forever, you know, watching, uh, I, I think in Italy and some other countries, if you watch a movie, uh, if, and if you're Italian, you're watching a movie starring Tom Cruise, um, and you hear the dub version, there's an actor whose job it yep. is to be the Tom Cruise of, <laughs> you know, of, of Italy. And that's just what he sounds like. So other countries are used to this. We've never, we haven't really seen the data. Um, we haven't really seen that experiment in the U S as much. You've never had that control group of like, what if you just put this out there and see how people react? So now we do. And it's interesting. There, there, there's the dubbing has also gotten a lot better over the decades. I'm sure you've noticed, you know, it's, it's not like the old, uh, kung fu movies <laughs> sure. where the lips are just nowhere near what the what the dialogue is doing like they can get it pretty close and that's through technology and just the the talent and the care that they're taking with with this kind yeah of yeah i mean it's a whole art form now the the idea of not just not just translating the the script you know verbatim trying to get exactly the the right words but trying to get the words in a rhythm it's almost like translating poetry yes. it's it is it is trying to get that rhythm and the the make the make the 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 mouths match and all of that which is very interesting i also saw this is a, this is only semi related but i saw a really interesting uh short short video that a, a an ai company put together that was essentially using using their algorithms to like make the mouths of actors match the uh foreign words that were dubbed in which is like a whole new whole brave new frontier in in filmmaking and and technology yeah it's like the merging of the whole deep fake thing right like yeah there's some people it's, it's, it's almost a little creepy sometimes uh the, the i think it's totally creepy. i mean it is it, it is it is totally creepy and also like actually a very elegant solution to as i described it, the necessary evil of subtitles i mean if you can make it work yeah, there are a number Maybe of AI companies out there that I've that I've spoken to that are they, they, there are two ways you can do it, right? You can either make the the sounds match the lips and, and do it that way, or you can tweak the imagery 
you can use AI to tweak the image to make the lips more closely match the sound. And yeah. there's companies that are trying to do it both ways. It's a really interesting new frontier, as you were saying, for this, uh, for this, to solve this problem. Um, and yeah. you know, if, if someone someone gets it, it could be pretty interesting because you could just you could if you could use technology and speed up the process, you could have more Squid Games theoretically. Yeah. You know, if the content's there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, look, this is going to be another one of these things that there are many anguished ethical debates about in the film critic community. You know, is this is this truly you know what the artist wanted and that sort of thing? But like at the same time, you know, Netflix is first and foremost a content company. It is only it is only kind of ancillarily a uh, an art artistic powerhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, if we if I can uh, be, put on my cynic hat just for a second. Um, well, that was that was everything I wanted to ask you. I, that, I what what do you what what should I what is there anything you want to tell people? Do you have any uh, one more thing? I'm sorry, there was there was one last thing. Do you do you have any sense of how things uh, stand with the uh, IATSE? Uh, work stoppage. I know there were there were some yeah. I don't been some good pieces in the LA Times, but you're not. This is not your beat exactly. Yeah, I think if, it's, if it gets to a strike level, it's going to be pretty much everyone's beat in this business. Uh, yeah, and at the paper because we're all going to be you know talking to people on the picket lines. Um, right now we're talking on a Thursday. Uh, IATSE has set the strike date for Monday, so if they don't have a deal basically by Sunday night. You're going to see uh, shows getting uh, productions being canceled, paused, and people going on to picket lines. So that's basically where it is at at, at this moment. Um, that's obviously, you know, on IATSE's part, that's a negotiation strategy because they want, you know, deadlines have passed, but now they want a deadline deadline for you know yeah. we're gonna we're gonna walk off the job if we don't get something done here. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. As you say, it's going to be. Uh, everybody's story here if they're if Hollywood shuts down for a month while they while they have to figure this out so uh, keeping keeping an eye on that uh, was there anything else you you uh, you wanted to tell people anything else you think folks should know about uh, that's going on right now uh, no sign up for the wide shot if you're uh, yeah sign up for the wide shot if you're not already um, sign up it's... sign up I'll have a there will be a link in the email uh, everybody can sign up directly there it'll be great 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 yeah well, this is fun. Good to hash this stuff All right. out. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it, Ryan. Uh, again, sign up for his newsletter. It's fantastic. Uh, and uh, keep keep your eyes out while you're watching the, the football games this weekend. And just keep track of how many of these uh, these sports betting style ads that you see. I'm, I'm curious to to hear what other people uh, are getting on their their screens at home. Um, so, uh, anyway, I'm Sunny Bunch. Uh, this has been the Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. Uh, very, very glad you guys listened. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, another episode. Mm -hmm.